Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host, myself, as ever, Alex Connor. And this is, yes, where we talk everything training, nutrition, lifestyle. We keep it real, we keep it raw, we keep it relatable. You guys know all of the social media handles and the plugs, and of course, we'll go over them at the end. But more importantly, I'm back with another phenomenal guest, and today I'm with Corinne Wooden. How are you? Give us a bit of a synopsis. You've got your tea. I've got my coffee. I know it's going to be a great conversation. Hey, Alex. (laughs) I am really well. Thank you for asking. It is hard to be not well when the weather is so beautiful and glorious in Melbourne today. So I'm having a lovely morning. Already went outside to get some nice vitamin D. So everything is going really well today. Fantastic. And that is also good for Melbourne, isn't it? To have some crisp blue skies. We've got them here in the Gold Coast, but for those who might be able to hear, it's very, very windy outside, but I'm not complaining. The basics are here. It could be worse. could be worse, especially in this era. I want to talk about the big, the big C word, the elephant in the room, but we're getting through it. Okay. So let's start off where we always do Give us a bit of a rundown. Give us a bit of a synopsis for the people who may not know who you are more on my platform. Give us a bit of a rundown of who you are, what you do, and more importantly, as we spoke before we started, why you do it. Sure. So my name is Corinne Wooden, as you very thoughtfully introduced. Um, I have only been training in the health and fitness space for two years now, but I think the why behind my weight training journey definitely needs some added context. So bear with me as I sort of backtrack a little for a few few years. Um, Like many kids in Australia, especially, I was introduced to sport at a really young age. I was a swimmer for about 10 years. I dabbled in dance when I was a teenager and through school, I participated in athletics. So I was always a cardio bunny. And for a really long time, I actually really enjoyed the like cardiovascular activity with running and swimming and just different types of those activities. But I I actually fractured my tailbone riding a resistance bike too vigorously. So that's how committed I was to cardio. Um, But although my relationship with exercise was very heavily influenced by my childhood and my parents, my dad is actually an Australian kayaking champion. He participated in sport at quite a high level. My uncle went to the Olympics. So there's a lot of sport in my family. Um, But I wouldn't really say that my fitness journey actually commenced until after high school. It wasn't really until after that, my VC exams and et cetera, that I really had that mindset of, I want to change my body. I want to do something productive with my body. It wasn't, it was more about actually making a change as opposed to just enjoying the team sport mentality. Um, So after my year 12 exams, I decided that I needed to lose 10 kilos. It wasn't that I wanted to, it was that I needed to. And in reality, I really didn't. I wanted to be 45 kilos exactly on the scale. And I think a lot of people have a very similar number in mind. It's a very specific number. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's specific. And that was because, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it was because Ariana Grande was 45 kilos and we were the exact same height. So I thought if I wanted to be like as beautiful as she, I needed to be 45 kilos, which is completely ridiculous in hindsight, but we are fed so much misinformation um, as kids. So that's really unfortunate. So For the next two and a half years, I genuinely spent up to two hours, six days a week doing cardio circuits and became really unhealthily thin uh, to the point where there was one instance that I remember so vividly 
where I was trying on some dresses that I'd worn just a couple of years before. I didn't think anything of it. I just wanted to wear them again. Um, and I put them on and they completely fell off me. It, I, I zipped them up and they just dropped to the floor. And it was as if I had, I was a mannequin with literally no shape. Um, it was in that moment after a few comments from my mum as well that I actually looked at myself for the first time quite objectively. And it was me thinking, well, am I towing the line between being just simply skinny or actually being anorexic? I have a, I only have a few photos of myself from that time because even then I, I didn't want to take photos despite how proud I was of the fact that I'd gained abs, that I'd really leaned down and all this stuff, but I had really pointy shoulders. I'd managed to achieve a thigh gap, which for my body structure is not normal. Um, I had such an unhealthy relationship with my body and with food growing up that I, I never really noticed any of the physical change that was, that were going on during this time. It felt natural to me, but it was only when like the dresses collapsed to the floor that I could just look at myself and think, what have I done to myself? What have the habits that I've been practicing reduced myself to? And it was honestly like a switch. I didn't want to look or feel weak anymore. I wanted to look and feel strong and, Within a few weeks, I signed up to a, a local Anytime Fitness and genuinely everything since then has been such a blur. Um, I went head, like full head first, straight into the deep end, went straight to the weight section and never looked back. So that is the why, how, reason I started weight training and I am perpetually in love with it. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. And I really appreciate the context as well. It's good to give a bit of a background. It's really important, as I always talk about, to start with the why. I think you'll agree. And a couple of points before we move on, I think worth noting is that one of the reasons I wanted to have some conversations with yourself is because, yes, you are almost someone who doesn't quite fit the norm in terms of you've been able to build a very or a more advanced physique in the short time. and I think a lot of people look at certain metrics like you just discussed there with weight and they think there's a certain amount of time or a certain weight or a certain thing or a certain grammage or whatever it might be that is going to get them the desired result. And it's, it's not, it's the fundamental principles behind that. And everyone has obviously differences and there's discrepancies within that. But again, as we talked about before, you know, based on what I'd saw from your journey and the content you were putting out, that was the main thing I was interested in you get fairly good at being able to decipher who is genuine and who is not. And I know that the ability to be able to communicate real information, keep it authentic, keep it genuine and actually, you know, pay forward valuable information for other women. I'm confident that you are doing and you will continue to do a very, very good job. And that's why we're having these conversations today because I think more women, especially yes, men too, but especially women, in this era of, like you said, these social pressures to look a certain way and all of the misconceptions which we will delve into today is going to be enlightening for a lot of, for a lot of young women and, and perhaps other women too of, of all ages in terms of how they can create these better relationships with their body, but also set some more realistic expectations. I think something worth noting as well, could you tell for the guests uh, who perhaps don't know who you are, I'm sure they will, will go and have a look, but give us some metrics on your height and your weight currently so people can kind of get a bit of per 
perspective of when you said you wanted to get to 45 kilos, like our friend Ariana Grande. And again, it might sound funny, but this, this happens a lot with most of my female clients. They are the most challenging to coach in a good way. It makes me a better coach, but there's far more to unpack usually. And there's so many misconceptions that they find it challenging to overcome when they have these numbers in their head that they think they should be. Um, but again, perhaps just quickly touch base on that and then we'll, we'll sort of springboard into the next one. Sure. So I am a very tiny five foot, which is also in part why I thought I needed to weigh less. Um, there was this perception that the shorter you are, the less you need to weigh, which doesn't actually correlate. So I'm currently about 50, fluctuating between 58 and 59 kilos, which is a solid like 11 to 12 kilos more than I was weighing at the time. And ironically, I, after having lost all that weight and then going through the process of building up my calories to regain that weight purposefully, I ended up looking better at um, 55 kilos than I did at 45 kilos. And of course, a lot of that has to do with, you know, muscle mass and actually knowing how to train properly and how to nourish my body as opposed to just um, not really thinking about my nutrition and um, just training balls to the walls all the time, which I, I don't do anymore. So th there is definitely this perception that, you know, the shorter you are, the less you should weigh, the less you should eat. Um, I don't think any of those numbers necessarily correlate. Yes, it does help to, you know, frame how much you should be eating, but um, I think I'm testament to the fact that you don't actually need to be on low calories as a short person. Well, we can both testify to that because I am also not six foot tall, dark, probably <laughs> still handsome, but Hey, so we all wish we could be our own critics and it's true. Um, it's multifactorial when it comes to that as a lot of the audience will learn and should know by now if they're regular listeners to the podcast. But I think it's good just to give some sort of oversight to that. And I want to bring it back to that journey and, and tack on to that before we go into some more specific questions. And I want to really delve into the creating a relationship or a more healthy relationship with yourself, with your body. And I want to talk a little bit about how you did that. And so you're in the gym, you throw yourself in at the deep end with the weights. You're very committed, as you've mentioned, as we can see. How did that journey evolve? Did you stumble around figuring out yourself? Did you get some coaches straight away? Did you have someone as a bit of a big brother in there? Tell us about that and how you sort of created this more, you know, I guess, proactive relationship, which was a lot more beneficial where you started fueling performance and starting to look better as you gained, you know, healthy amounts of weight back. When I first started training in the gym, I definitely fumbled around for a few months, but probably for not as long as a lot of people tend to do. I was looking at on Instagram for, you know, workouts, glute building workouts, et cetera. And I was only really just training my legs. But even then I was doing really frivolous exercises because that's what was being shown on social media. And I thought that if I just did this workout on this day and then this workout on this other day, and then kind of change it up every other week that I would quote unquote shock my body and have the result that I wanted to achieve. But that's definitely not the case. It was only until I came back from um, being overseas that I decided, you know what, I'm going to get a structured program. It was a very basic program that I got online, but it was a, a way for me to actually introduce myself to a lot of compound lifts. So it was the first program that got me to squat. It was the first program that got me to deadlift. And even though I in hindsight, probably should have actually had a coach from the get-go. It was a way for me to actually just ease myself into training properly. 
um, which I, I definitely found very beneficial. And I did see some results from that. And it did actually teach me how to go about programming for myself, which I have done for a large part of my journey. Uh, I programmed for myself from about December of 2018 up until July of 2019. And it was only in July that I got my coaches, Jane and Logan from Team Sacrifice. And they are honestly phenomenal. I can't recommend them enough. I absolutely love them. They are so on point with their nutrition advice, their training programming. I would be lost without them because I've learned so much from them. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for getting a coach at any point in your fitness journey, because they really can provide insight that you can't really achieve on your own necessarily because you're still new a lot of the time. And it's really great to be able to learn from different people. Um, so I've had them as my coaches ever since, and they're, they're still my coaches today and I'm still as obsessed with their programming, but at the moment I'm actually being programmed for my partner for powerlifting specific training. So we're trying to blend the two together. So I've gone through a few different phases, but at the same time, I'm still very comfortable with programming for myself. Um, but I suppose that all, that little, tra that little period actually goes to show that, um, I didn't faff around with my training literally only about three months did I, um, use the Instagram booty workouts and, um, IGTV videos. It was, I, I was following a structure program for a better part of my introductory phase to training, which I'm incredibly thankful for. Yeah. It's, it's very underrated, the consistency. And I know we're going to delve into that much deeper, but Yes, as a beginner, you know, something that I talk about with a lot of clients, you, know, you can throw anything at a wall and something's going to stick initially, and then you need to be a little bit more pragmatic about it. But if you do have some structure from the get-go, and I think one of these misconceptions with females is that you need to be doing a lot of variety all of the time, and it has to constantly change, and a lot of exercises, like you said, frivolous, or perhaps they don't really offer that mechanical tension. The return on investment isn't there. Um, more isolation, you know, more cable-based exercises, things that are not as simple or as structured as your big compound lifts. So what I'd like to talk about, or if you can run us through what your program looked like from the beginning, or and even what it looks like now, transitioning more into powerlifting and kind of having that amalgamation. I know you've already sort of, you've been on point more or less. You've not really, like you said, messed around too much, but it'd be interesting. And I know a lot of the audience listening and the female listeners would love this. So I'm asking questions for them to give us these real life examples of like the exercises, the day splits that you do. One of the biggest misconceptions I get is that females have to train very, very different to males. And while there are differences, there's, there's not as many as most people think um, because of obviously the difference in hormonal balance, etc. You're not going to get absolutely jacked, but I'm sure we'll get to that one later. Seems to be a, a really big one. So perhaps give us a bit of a rundown of what your training looks like, how it's evolved and, and a bit of a day-to-day -day, uh, of how it all runs. So at the moment, I'm training five days a week and I have a upper-lower split with one full-body posterior focus day. And that's just to account for the fact that I'm benching three times a week to improve my bench. So I'm focusing very heavily on um, bench squat and deadlift. But unfortunately, with squats, I actually have a torn meniscus and my, my right lateral meniscus of my knee is... So I'm rehabbing that at the moment. So my main focus really is um, deadlifts and bench for actually building strength and building more tolerance. Um, so 
I'm doing a lot, like I said, a lot of compound movements, a lot of still training at home. I have actually a little home gym set up at the moment. So I'm very happy to train at home. Got a lap pull down, which I, I use a lot, really focusing on pull-ups, which I've really been enjoying. And I, I, once I actually got my first pull-up, I just continued to ha like hammer at it and just keep going because it's so gratifying to actually perform an exercise that's so hard to do without any weight that most people just can't do so um yeah squat bench and deadlift a lot of hip thrusts a lot of um back movements i love training back more women should train back uh lateral raises for shoulders overhead press and that's differed a lot from the way i used to train at the very beginning at the very beginning it was a lot of um a lot of ab exercises a lot of things like lunges with a kickback and um a lot of banded work, which was completely unnecessary, especially when you have barbells and dumbbells available to you. But my training at the beginning was very much focused on, like you even mentioned, cables and things that don't really put as much tension on the muscle. And you can't progressively overload as easily and aren't able to actually um, engage the muscle the way you would with compound lifts. You can do so much with compound lifts and they yield so much of a result that you can't really achieve with just cables or bands alone. And especially with frivolous exercises like your, your lunges and your kickbacks or your kickbacks on your, on the step master or a lot. <laughs> get me started on that. <laughs> Very obscene frivolous isolation work that maybe helps for activation, but that's about it. Um, during my hypertrophy, my main hypertrophy phase with my team sacrifice coaches, we did a lot of volume and that has changed a lot, mostly because of my knee. I did way more leg work in the past than I do now. Um, I loved hack squats, uh, the V squat, also a huge favorite. Um, hip thrusts were more, were actually less frequently in my program at that time when I was squatting more regularly about three times a week. I've gone through so many different phases, but I think the one thing that I've really learned, especially now pursuing powerlifting is that I don't need to go balls to the walls all the time, which I used to do with hypertrophy very regularly and um, would often hit a wall and not know how to actually continue to progressively overload the muscle group that I was training because I'd hit a wall and I couldn't go any further because I went like RP 10 in the first session. So powerlifting has definitely taught me to uh, rein that in, um, focus more on technique. And I've improved so much just in the past six months, even when training at home to actually focus more on technique, prioritize that and, focus more on just the compound lifts and then add in, sprinkle the accessories in at the end. Uh, I think a lot of people actually focus more on the accessories and they do the compound lifts where it, it should be the other way around. Correct. Correct. And you know, it's very refreshing to hear as well, you know, from, from another female athlete and someone who trains and, and having that journey because there is, there's this bit of a stigma where it has to be more complex then it needs to be a must. We must have to be working at, like you said, an RP 10 all the time where powerlifting is a great way, or if we can use the word power building, this, you know, hybrid between, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, having this powerlifting or using that strength braced approach, you know, very heavy using strength, hypertrophy, power, having that undulating pattern and progression versus your more traditional hypertrophy. And then obviously all of the cardio as well, that can come with it or a lot of women do too. I mean, generally I program as little, if not none, which for some people is like, what, how and I'm like, well, you know, if we're, if we're smart with our training, you're going to be using the cardiovascular energy system. And again, that's not the main goal for us. So I would like to sort of touch base on that. I know you said before you used to be a bit of a cardio bunny. 
And then I'd like to transition into some other myths and misconceptions of perhaps what you had believed or what you've slayed and then also what you received from other females. But give us a bit of, um, you obviously mentioned your dad was a, he's a very high kayaking, uh, you know, sort of cardiovascular based athlete, but you used to be a cardio bunny. You mentioned, I think it was dancing somewhere in there as well. So perhaps give us a bit of a rundown on that and what's changed and how you articulated that and how you've interpreted it perhaps not only for yourself, but for other females as well. Yeah. When I was younger, I was definitely very obsessed with cardio. As soon as I started swimming, it was cardio from then on swimming, dancing, running. And my dad was a huge, um, participant in helping me with that, which was great. It was a, it was a great way for us to bond, especially through athletics. I did a lot of sprinting and, and hurdles. I even tried my hand at cross country, which I wasn't as good at. Um, but yeah, I was running a lot as a kid and I continued to do so up until I started weight training. And once I did start weight training, I was still a little bit um, absorbed with the cardio. I used to walk 40 minutes to the gym, do cardio, then walk 40 minutes back. So that was a little bit extreme. Um, but as of right now, I haven't touched cardio since gosh, uh, December of 2018. I, I haven't done a single run <laughs> since then. Walking is my main uh, objective, but I definitely, um, adhered to the myth that, you know, women have to participate in cardio, which is, is typically like hit training less than steady state. We have to be, you know, the, the 10, uh, 20 second sprints for 10 minutes on the treadmill, um, that was something I did a lot of. And the, the belief that I had was I wouldn't actually lose weight or lose fat if I didn't participate in cardio, which is so wrong. <laughs> it's just so wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, um, it's very challenging sometimes to explain that for females. And I don't know if you have experienced this yourself or perhaps you get this question from other females, but also sometimes the acute weight gain from when you train someone properly, you get someone who is not eating right and they're not training intelligently when they start to actually eat the amount of carbohydrate they need, they actually start to pull the glycogen in the water and you get this sort of increase in weight acutely. That's very hard for a female if they're very focused on that metric on the scales. So I want to ask you and talk about, what are some of the biggest misconceptions and questions you get from your audience from the fee? And I don't know if you're specifically coaching or guiding people yourself or whether you're sort of transitioning into that at the moment, but what are some of the, the questions you're getting? Some of them might be obvious. Some of them might not be. And how do you handle and dissipate those myths and perhaps, you know, alleviate that misconception so other women can see the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, shall we say? I mean, a lot of people still ask me questions about uh, relating to carbohydrates and whether or not they're eating too much, which I am very frustrated by. It really saddens me that so many women are still still occupied with eating less as opposed to eating more and fearing carbohydrates when in reality, carbohydrates are just fuel for our body. It's just another source that we rely on to actually provide our bodies with the energy to actually, you know, go about our day. It, it's, it's quite simple as that but oftentimes you know carbs are demonized bread is bad pasta is bad can't eat white bread can't eat white this and that can only have sweet potato um whereas then there's me who's literally absorbing all the toast so <laughs> it's really it's really upsetting when i when i see so many women still just stuck on the carbs are bad cycle um but i do definitely still hear not directly to me since my audience is quite 
um, specific at this point, but I still hear women who mostly have never weight trained in their life, of course, say things like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to look like a man. And there's this huge perception, as you know, that weight training, even for a short period of time, equates to an obscene increase in lean muscle mass, which is, it's not the case. It takes years for men even to build a considerable amount of muscle mass. And then there's women who don't even have the testosterone levels to be able to do that in an equivalent amount of time. Of course, some people would then look at me and like, well, you did it. And I'm like, yes, but how can I tell you that my genetics are unique to me and are very specific to me? And I happen to be a little bit lucky in, in that regard. And not everyone is going to look bulky. And I don't, I don't think I look bulky. And of course, if you look at the average man, they don't look bulky either. So the perception that you're going to gain this obscene amount of, of, of muscle and obscene amount of weight is quite ridiculous. And I think at times it's propelled by the impression that a lot of men are on steroids, which is not necessarily the case. Um, but yeah, that is something that I hear quite a lot, but my audience specifically, it's, it's still, how can I eat, eat less or how can I eat more? I'm scared of eating more when in reality we should be, you know, eating more and oftentimes doing less. I'm a huge advocate for eating more and doing less. Um, women in particular have been told all the time that in order to, to achieve any health and fitness goal they have, they have to do the direct opposite, which in theory is true. If you want to lose weight, you have to put your, yourself in a calorie deficit to do so. If you want to gain weight, you have to put yourself in a calorie surplus to do so. However, if you're maintaining your body weight at about 1200 calories, for example, and you attempt to then slash that to lose weight, you have nowhere to go. And I'm, it still upsets me that so many women will deliberately push lower and lower and lower and, you know, risk their hormonal health, risk their mental health, risk their physical health on, in, on the inside just to achieve a certain physical result, which at that point you're actually not going to achieve the result you want to achieve if you're slashing your calories down to a thousand. Um, and as an adult, eating 1200 calories is essentially the equivalent of eating the amount of an active toddler. And when you tell people that they're like, what? No, no way. Because so many people actively reward themselves and praise themselves for eating less. I used to do the same. I, I remember when I was much younger, I would only eat an apple for breakfast. And I would, when I was told off by my friends saying, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. It's not healthy for you. Part of my brain would be like, I'm doing the right thing because they're annoyed at me. And I, I feel like I'm proud for doing something that is a little bit taboo or what have you. But it's something that I can relate to. And it's something that I don't want to see continually propelled in the health and fitness community. And it's even every time I see an ad on, on mainstream TV for like sim, slim, right shakes. And I'm like, okay, this is the problem. There are so many ads in, in marketing and in the social media space and the mainstream fitness space marketing towards women who are vulnerable at this point, who just want to achieve a result, telling them to just keep eating less. And at this point, drink your calories, which also can be less than an average meal. It's just something that is so incredibly frustrating. And I wish there were a simple way to succinctly tell women, you can eat more and do less and still achieve the result you want to achieve. But it, it, sometimes it seems like you're just speaking into the air and no one's listening to you. Um, but I suppose at that point, you just have to keep reiterating the message because at some point people are going to pick up on it. And at some point people are going to start listening. Yeah. You know, focus on the people who get it, not on the people who don't. I think leading by example is one of the most powerful tools. I talk about it a lot. And when you focus, you know, from that, you lead by example, you represent, you show people what you do and how you do it. Very transparent about it, which is something that you do very well. 
and then also focusing on those people who do get it and then doing really good work for those clients, friends, associates, etc. I have found is the most powerful way because sometimes you can, yeah, it's you're talking to a brick wall or you're saying things, but people just, they still don't quite believe it. You know, they're just not quite there with it, but again, it takes time. And, and that is one of the, the elements that just takes faith and application. But I always say that time moves fast as well. And that's the other side of the coin. I don't think it's talked about, you know, if you put in the work and you are consistent every day, you'll get the desired result. There's no magic. But as you said, it's very hard to sell or market that when it's not pretty, it's not wrapped up, it's not packaged in such a way where there is all of this other media and marketing. And again, women are supposedly meant to look a certain way. And it's, again, even the wording of the slim shakes. And you know, we won't mention certain big brands out there, multi-level marketing schemes who are, you know, do this and do that. And basically creating problems that don't exist and then solving them to design a product for someone. It's such a backward uh, theme, uh, but no, it can't be simple, right? We, we can't just eat food. We can't just lift weights and we can't just rest or, or even move a little bit depending on what your goals are. It's, it can't be that simple surely, but lo and behold it is. And I want to talk then about food specifically in terms of not being so food focused Obviously, a lot of females, they are on lower calories than most men, but not always, not always, just being smaller. But again, there is this, I have found in my experience, a lot of the time, a lot of women who are not quite doing it in a way which is probably, let's use the word optimal, it's subjective, that are constantly in this restriction phase. And I just noticed that, yes, if it's a dieting phase, that's going to happen but I think you should be set up with the skill sets before so you know how to handle that and manage it because I think more often than not, most people, especially women, do have a mild eating disorder, which might sound really brash, but it's true. If you feel guilty after eating a food consistently, that's a mild eating disorder. If you find yourself constantly thinking about food or having to have certain foods, it's like, this is a mild eating disorder. These are these things become deeper and deeper. And although that sounds like, oh no, it, no, it's not, no, it's not. It's like, well, it is, and you need to address it because it's only going to become bigger and more accentuated over time. So, how do you manage that? How have you managed that based on your experience when you did the dieting phase? Because you said you learned a lot and it built a lot of, a lot of character, which is something that. I wish a lot of people could experience, but I don't think they're cut out for it and I wouldn't recommend it. I actually talk a lot of people out of competing for that reason. I think they need to build a certain level of skill set first before they go in. I use the analogy of going into battle with the best weapons, but not knowing how to use them is going to leave you dead very quickly. So let's talk more about creating those better habits with food. And once again, how perhaps you communicate that across to your audience and how you structure it. Feel free to give real life examples of what you do. You mentioned you love toast. It's fantastic. Um, I like toast, jam, Nutella. I could tell you some stories about toast. It's fantastic. There's even a song about toast, I think, actually. But <laughs> more to the point, let, let's talk about that, Corinne. I mean, I have a jumper that literally says, I love toast. So I think that is an, a perfect descriptor of how much I love my carbs. Um, but I didn't always used to. I, I never, I'm quite thankful for this, but I never actually restricted myself from eating certain foods. Even when I was 
uh, more self-conscious around food and, and I had an unhealthy relationship with food, I never restricted any particular food group. And I think a large part of that is just due to my parents and the way that I was raised. And um, I, I never, Italian background, you're told to eat all the gluten. So I always did. Um, but if I'm perfectly honest with you, I'm still not in a, in a place where I am not food focused. Even it does help the fact that I spend a large part of the year in a calorie surplus that takes a lot of pressure away from me because I'm not having to think about what foods are going to elicit the highest volume on my plate. How can I perfectly time my foods that I'm not hungry? How do I intermittent fast to this time to alleviate any certain hunger signals and things like that? I'm not having to put myself under the stress and pressure when I'm in a calorie surplus. You just don't have to think about food as much because you usually have a lot more calories and a lot more uh, space to play with. Um, but in my dieting phase, because I spent six months prior to that in a calorie surplus, I didn't have to diet down as hard as I initially thought. At the end of my um, competition prep before it was cancelled, I got down to about 2,200 calories. That's most people's normal. Um, and that was me dieting. Um, and I cannot stress enough how important I think it is to take yourself out of a dieting, of the constant dieting phase to spend more time building up those calories as slowly as you feel that you need, just so that if you do want to diet again in the future, I have nothing necessarily against of dieting since I do engage with it. If you do want to diet again in the future, you can do so by eating more. And that in turn is actually going to benefit your mental health as well and your physical health to a, a larger degree than if you were to continue dieting on 1400 calories. Of course, in the competitive space, you do generally speaking have to pull your calories quite low at the end. And that's part and parcel of what we sign up to doing. Um, but for the majority of the human population, you don't need to do that. You can achieve the results you want to achieve on more calories, um, even if you're still entering into a dieting phase at that time. Of course, people don't tend to realize that they can actually build up their calories more um, to then diet back down on, on more food. Um, but with regards to actually not being so food focused, a calorie surplus does help. But also I think taking a more flexible approach to your nutrition. A lot of people love meal plans. I'm not a huge advocate for meal plans just because I think they don't actually educate you uh, about what's actually in food, what you can and can't have. If you have a meal plan, generally speaking, it's like, well, I can have this and I can't have anything that's not on said meal plan, which in turn also then, then can create unfortunate habits with regards to disordered eating practices and feeling like you can't have certain foods. I really love my fitness power for tracking, uh, especially someone who does track their macros and does so without a meal plan. I love the flexibility involved in that. But at the same time, the markers on my fitness pal, if you haven't been educated about what they mean, can also be detrimental to you being food focused. Um, for a large period, of, for a long period of time, I thought that I couldn't have more fruit just because my sugar was too high because the sugar markers on my fitness power for women, at least generally speaking, cut off at about 85 grams. And if you're eating more fruit or if you're eating, you know, certain toast that has uh, fruit in it, it tends to, you know, increase the sugar more than, than you think. And then there's, there's a little red bar that pops up and you immediately think, Oh, well, red's bad. I shouldn't be doing that. And then you start cutting away and telling yourself you can't have certain things. I still do that. It's a, it's a habit that's ingrained in my brain and it still pops up every now and then where I'll be eating quote unquote too much sugar. Um, but in reality, I'm just having an extra, an extra apple or an extra banana or I'm just 
fueling my body with foods that are good for me. So I do think that there are so many different elements involved in the dieting process that we need to be a little bit more laxed with and potentially educated more on with regards to how that we can actually use them to benefit us as opposed to us conforming to a structure that doesn't have that much validity in and of itself. My fitness pal is very helpful, but if it just exists on its own without your input and your education, it's not that beneficial to you. Um, through my reverse dieting phase, I also learned that it was okay for me to have a meal that I wasn't tracking. Uh, for a better part of my fitness journey, I tracked every single thing that went into my mouth. I didn't have one off plan, quote unquote, meal um, in that whole two and a half year period until now. Um, I've learned that actually food is more than just fuel. It's more than just nourishment. It's also an experience. It's something that I can use to enjoy with my partner, with my family. I can go out to eat and not feel stressed about what I'm eating. And sometimes being in a surplus, I'll look at food on my plate and I'm like, actually, this is less than even I would normally eat. So it's, it's quite, you know, it's a quite marked difference when you start looking at food. Less is a number. When you start to track, you will inevitably see food as a number to some degree. It's always going to happen, especially if you're tracking macros. Um, but then going out to eat and not having to input so strategically what you ate on, into my fitness pal and just sit there and enjoy the food with your partner, with whoever you're with. I mean, just use food as an experience as opposed to just something that nourishes you and fuels you because it's more than that. As much as we need to teach people that food is fuel and food is nourishment and it's not something that we should punish ourselves with or reward ourselves with, it's also an experience that can help us form memories. Um, and that's definitely something I've learned more recently and I wish I learned it sooner. Mm -hmm. And being Italian myself, or my mom is Italian, that is something that you quickly learn. You're, you're very exposed to early on because it is, it's um, food is community, it's culture, etc. And there's a lot of really salient points you made there about nutrition, about tracking and everything is contextual, you know, where there's a time and a place for most things, not everything. But one of the pushbacks that I get a lot as a coach is this, just give me a meal plan, just tell me what to do. And I'm like, well, that's not really how I run my coaching. That's not really how I run it. Because for me, although structure is needed, if too much structure is given, a meal plan, as good as they sometimes can be and again it's a tool in a tool belt it's not a given they can offer lead to more harm than good because like you said it leads to this restrictive on off binary approach of oh this is good this is bad but i've also found that if you give people too much rope they will hang themselves so i find by having this amalgamation between again giving people structure or having a little bit of a process of of which we run people through depending on where they are on this metaphorical map because some people will come they will have experience they have tracked food they may be at a different point where they can have a bit more flexibility versus someone who's never heard of tracking and perhaps tracking is not just via my fitness pal you know it can be as you said just by servings or by eyeballing it once you get to a certain point and i think a lot of people forget the purpose of tracking which is initially to create an awareness so for me i like to get someone to create a food diary in any way, shape or form, because a lot of the time they're not eating bad as they've told me I eat really healthy. Yeah. But again, it's the wrong quantities of food in the wrong way or, you know, the wrong macronutrient split. And again, it's not what we do, how we do it. But I want to ask you about my fitness pal. Uh, 
in terms of, yes, there is, I often say to my clients, we're using this for calibration. When I do introduce it, forget what they recommend. I'm going to recommend because again, it's general pop and no one's really general population. We're all specific. Uh, so we're just using it to track and just to create awareness. And we've just got a calibrative metric that we can use. And again, the sugar thing is a really common question that I get. And I often diminish that by just talking and explaining some of the sort of biological aspects of, you know, how carbohydrates are absorbed in the body and how they're broken down and where the sugar is coming from. And again, often it's not actually from processed or added sugar, it's from fructose and we could go on and on and on. But fundamentally, how did you find using my fitness pal when you first started it? How were you introduced to it? And what are some perhaps little key takeaways that you found that really help you and also how you might help others uh, come attuned to it and be able to use it in a, in a healthier way rather than a restrictive way? Because I know a lot of women, uh, a lot of people, enjoy what they fear tracking. You see, you say, oh, God, it's too hard. It's too hard. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not. And again, there is a process. You can't expect someone to be accurate straight away. You've got to give them the tips and hints. So I want you to talk us through some of the things that perhaps have helped you create a better experience with uh, MyFitnessPal or even other tracking tools as well that you may use. So yeah, MyFitnessPal can be a little tricky to use when you first start it. I mean, like any app, you're having to learn how to use a whole new process and that's completely fine. You have the time, the the time to actually just play around with it and not be too obsessed or focused on the numbers that it provides you. Something that I really want to reinforce, like you've already said, is ignore the prescriptions and the numbers they've given you. If you have your own, use them. Do not tell, do not listen to what my fitness pal in and of itself is telling you to eat because a lot of it's based on, you know, a, a huge um, portion of the population. And just because you may be quote unquote gem pop, Again, it's not specific to you. Nutrition is very personalized. It needs to be tailored to the individual. And my fitness pal, it doesn't know your personal circumstances. It's basing it off your weight, your, your height and your age. And a lot of the time that's still incorrect. So if I could really reinforce to, to everyone is to just not focus on the prescriptors that they give you. Um, something that I have really uh, taken value from through my fitness pal is learning how to accu accurately track what I'm eating. And a lot of the time that comes through, um, nut tab and, uh, the, the Australian version for all like vegetables, meats, um, and things like that. So you know that you're getting the most accurate result because sometimes if you scan a barcode, it's going to come up with beef jerky instead of cheese, for example, it, it, not every barcode is accurate. And you learn that a lot of the time. If I go through the shops and start scanning barcodes and all the meat at Woolworths, a lot of the time they will come up with completely different results. So to be as accurate and as consistent as possible, stick with using the, the same um, entries that you typically would use. Nut tab is my favorite to use for fruit and meat. Um, but also with regards to not being so focused on the numbers that my fitness pal give you, it's just about having the awareness to separate yourself from the actual tracking app. And I know that's harder. It's easier said than done. Um, and it does take some time to learn, which I do think is important to have someone there with you, guiding you through the MyFitnessPal process, because it's not always as simple as it sounds. A lot of the times, most people probably don't need to be introduced to MyFitnessPal from the get-go. They just need to be told to probably eat a certain servings of fruit and vegetables each day, get a sufficient amount of protein, and then fill in your carbs and fats for the rest of the time. 
Um, but most people want uh, the structure that MyFitnessPal gives in the sense that, oh, well, it's, it's fancy to use. I get to know exactly what I'm eating each day. And I'm like, yes, that's true. But also a lot of people don't tend to use it. The reason I find it's beneficial is just because I have very specific goals and I want to know exactly what I'm putting in my mouth. And a lot of people don't need that level of specificity to achieve the results they want to achieve. Um, but from a coaching perspective, I'm not personally coaching yet as of, as of right now, but I, I would personally advocate for helping my clients in the future use my fitness power in a safe and productive way um, to ensure that they're not, they're not developing disordered eating habits through the app, which can at times occur. Um, but it's just developing the awareness and having that person there to reinforce to you that the numbers they give you are not reflective of you. The numbers that like I'm giving you or your coach is giving you is what's more important. It's just a means to have everything in one place so that you can see what you're eating um, as opposed to a spreadsheet that I know a lot of people still have and can be a little bit outdated. But there's not a w really a way around my fitness pal in terms of avoiding the numbers. They're always going to be there. It's just about having the awareness to separate yourself from those numbers. I wish that could be more in depth with that, but it, it, it is as that simple. No, it is. And at the end of the day, you've got to do it. And there are people who apply themselves and it seems so simple because again, it's as hard as you want to make it. And then there are people who push back and push back. And sometimes that's when we need to look at a different tool in the tool belt. But for the most part, again, it comes down to having that attitude and just having a go and getting in there. You learn by doing. And I think I always say, if I can do it, anyone can do it. I don't consider myself to be the smartest of people, but I'm determined and I'm consistent and I'm relentless. And I think people who really want to apply themselves and they want to better themselves, not only physically, but mentally, they will. And they will find a way to make that work in whatever way, shape or form that may be. But no, it was succinctly described. And I think that's really good. Something I wanted to talk about more as well sort of leading on from what we talked about earlier was not focusing so much on scale weight um, because this is a really big thing, right? And we, we did touch base on that. But now for someone like yourself who is training consistently, for females who are in the gym training consistently, there's a different trend on weight gain versus mem. What are some things that you like to use or focus on more in terms of performance rather than just scale weight? And what do you like to track with your coach coaches as metrics to ensure that you're still moving in the right direction, but you're not getting too caught up in one number. And that might be also where we talk about the introduction of other metrics like girth measurements, skin folds, progress pitches, clothing, things like that, which are really, really simple, but very, very powerful as well. I actually meticulously tracked my weight every single day for the past two years. Um, and usually through that period, you actually learn um, why your body actually fluctuates the way it does, you know, water consumption, hydration status, the fiber you've eaten the night before, whether or not you, you've used your bowels before you um, weighed in the morning and whether it's your time of the month, if you're a woman, but um, despite knowing all of those things, I still during this year, especially started to experience negative responses to my daily weigh-ins. I started to look at the number on the scale and compare it with what I was looking at in the mirror. And I was experiencing this negative distortion between what I was seeing and what 
in the mirror, what I was seeing on the scales, I was believing more what I was seeing in the mirror than what I was seeing on the scales. And at certain times I would trust the scales more, especially in the dieting phase. But when I'm, you know, building up my body and emphasizing on muscle gain, it's not something that I want to rely on too much. And it's something that I've learned not to rely on recently. Um, of course, emotion, the emotions and feelings that we tend to feel in response to the way we look or um, what we weigh aren't rational, even though the process with which we actually gain metrics is supposed to be a logical process, but how we feel, of course, isn't that way. Um, but I'm definitely a huge advocate for progress photos. I love taking progress photos, even if I don't want to look at them. Something that I would advocate for a lot of people is to take your check-ins, take your photos, and not necessarily look at them at the time. Maybe come back later because at, at the immediate moment, you tend to experience a lot of feelings with regards to how you feel like you should be looking versus how you are looking at the time. And we can be very, uh, we can be our worst critics. So looking at those progress photos at the time we take them might not be the safest option for our mental health. But I also really like taking girth measurements. I think that's a, a great metric to gauge how you're progressing and uh, especially with regards to weight gain versus dieting. It's something that I've maintained consistently with my coaches, both girth measurements and progress photos over just scale weight. Uh, but with regards to performance, which I really, really enjoy using performance as a metric to gauge my progress. Um, if I'm continually getting stronger, even just through maybe like one kilo on the bar each week, or if I'm able to improve upon my form, or if I'm able to uh, just progressively overload in different ways through sets or reps or time under tension, what have you, that is a reasonable suggestion that I'm actually getting stronger. But of course, as a woman, you have to account for the fact that you're not actually going to be stronger every single week, especially with the way the menstrual cycle works. So sometimes it's important to recognize, you know, you might need a deload. Um, I'm someone who likes to just keep going and going and going. And I, I don't want to put the, you know, put my foot on the pedal, I just, you know, on the, on, on the stop. But um, I, I, yeah, like I said, I just keep going and going and going. And I often forget that I'm not superwoman and that I can't keep going all the time. And then I do need a break. Um, but sometimes with performance, you can get a little bit caught up in the numbers too. So as opposed to getting caught up in the numbers, just focus on the way in which you measure those results as opposed to the actual numbers you're seeing. Because sometimes you won't actually progress with the number. You might only progress with time under tension, or you might only progress with a set or a rep, or you might only progress with being able to improve your form. And as you continue to train, um, as you become more advanced, you're not always going to be able to put more weight on the bar in of itself. Yes, this is true. And again, some perhaps food for thought for a lot of women as well, having that balance, any metric or any number, or just focusing on one thing at some point is, is going to be detrimental. And it's about, again, looking at those key metrics, the things that we can track over time and looking at the trends. So going, Hey, we're not looking just in a short acute term week to week, but we're actually zooming out and looking month by month and six months and 12 months, et cetera. And as you rightly said, a lot of the time it can be hard to see those trends in photos and very short disparities. But over time you look back and go, wow, like I didn't realize how far I'd come. And just by taking those metrics, and I know I'm going to answer an inevitable question here. I know a lot of people don't like to do them at the start, especially people who are perhaps, you know, not near the shape they want to be. And it can be quite painful. And again, we, we want to keep that as um, less intrusive as possible, but I always say it will be well worth it because you'll be able to look back and see progress and not look back with hate, but with self-love and go, well, that's the person who got you to where you are now. 
And by doing this, you can actually have these little checkpoints and realizations and you can create these little wins for yourself that perhaps when you do have those days or weeks where you're feeling a little bit down, you can look back and go, well, hey, we didn't guess. Like this is tangible progress here that we're making and moving in the right direction over time. So I think it's really good that you mentioned having that balance and not getting too focused either way um, and being able to zoom out almost a little bit, which I think is really, really critical in that respect, um, especially as a female. You mentioned something as well, uh, which I think is really pushed under the rug, which is the female menstrual cycle. We won't go into it too much in depth uh, here today, but I think that's something to factor in. A lot of females don't, whether that's, you know, the contraceptive pill and other things that are, you know, perhaps having an effect on that, but also that weight will rise and it will deplete and there's going to be more fluctuations than there are with males. I found males are generally very linear. They're very predictable, not always, but most of the time where women, when we look at their weight trends, they are a lot more sporadic, which I just want to put out there is normal and feel free if you want to comment on this before we move on. And I think just making females realize that it's absolutely normal and it's fine. And jumping on the scales is not a pass or fail. It is purely a tracking metric tool over time, which we're looking at over the long term. We're not looking at it for a result. We're not walking the plank. We should not put our emotional happiness or investment in that number. Mm. With regards to the menstrual cycle as well, it's it's quite an interesting conversation just because I've been on hormonal contraception, the contraceptive pill for the past six years. So I'm very, I've never actually experienced training and the way that menstrual cycle operates without it. But what I do know is that anyone who is on hormonal contraception, generally speaking, won't have the same fluctuations with their weight or with their PMS symptoms as someone who isn't on any birth control at all. So if you're not actually on birth control, I do think it's very helpful as a woman to track your menstrual cycle, especially because your body will respond to training and also to food very differently depending on what stage in the cycle you are. If you're in the follicular phase, which is day one of your period to ovulation, your body will tend to recover really well. You will likely feel like you can increase your training intensity and you can perform better versus when you're in the luteal phase post ovulation and then pre menstruation, your recovery is decreased. Your ability to perform well in in training is also decreased. And you may also have a, a lack of Uh, the potential to build extra muscle during that period of time. So I think that is something that needs to be factored in where it often is not. But of course, if you are on hormonal contraception, you may experience some of those symptoms and you may experience some of those um, factors, but not to the degree as someone who is not on any form of contraception. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you speaking to that because I think that a lot of females are unaware and that's where the specificity, the specificity uh, of being a female really comes into its own having those phases where, and not necessarily negative. And I have got a guest coming on in the next couple of weeks, who's very, very well versed in this and helps a lot of females, but almost using different phases to your advantages and having, you know, structured plans in place to be able to go, well, if this is happening, we do this. And if this is happening, and again, that's where that flexibility and a bit of foresight and planning can really come in uh, to that as well. There's a couple of other key things I want to talk to you about um, before, before we, we wrap up with the rapid fire questions. And one of them is keeping it real via social media. And we've talked about the expectations that are there. You do this incredibly well. Again, spoke about it. It's one of the main reasons I wanted to chat to you because you were able to be very transparent 
about that. Do you have any rituals, any routines? It might be a person, someone accountable. It could be a partner. I don't know who keeps you very grounded and being able to consistently stay true to the cause and perhaps not be led astray, shall we say, by other interventions that are so easily, um, I guess, out there or that we have access to via social media. And as a young female, do you feel any pressure to look a certain way or say certain things and do certain things? And if so, how do you handle those and how do you express that and help other women? I definitely think that I'm not in a position where I, I don't have that many followers compared to a lot of other quote unquote influencers out there. And I don't particularly like that word in general, but um, I treat Instagram and I always have done as my personal space as my diary. If people don't like what I'm preaching, if people don't like the content that I'm putting out, they can bugger off, I guess. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's my personal space. And, and I suppose that at times I do have, I do feel the pressure to look a certain way. Um, but because I have built such a, a presence online while being quote unquote thicker or being heavier or being in a calorie surplus, I, a lot of my content is based around eating more. Um, I feel like my audience very thankfully accepts me for who I am, which is fantastic. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't feel like I necessarily have anyone that grounds me online. I think it's just about the way that I want to present myself, the way that I feel about myself. I don't want at any point in time for my content to upset anyone because I know that if I were on the other side, I wouldn't appreciate that. And if I was putting out content that I personally could uh, relate to in a way that was upsetting, I wouldn't feel good about myself. I just want to present myself in the most ethically, morally, authentically uh, transparent way possible um, in a way that does, does the least harm on social media. I think we lack, uh, the ability to realize that we have a huge responsibility over what we put out. Um, most people, especially people with really large followings forget that the people behind the screen, that the people they are putting content out to are real people. Um, which is also why social media is a, is a platform for, you know, cyberbullying as well. It's not something I want to touch on necessarily, but it's a platform. We forget that there are people behind the screen that we're talking to. Um, and I really do think that we need to be more responsible and accountable for the content that we put out. And I definitely try my best to do so. I've, I openly acknowledge when I get things wrong and I openly call myself out when I know that there is something that I have shared that has been detrimental. And I want to make sure that people that follow me know that I'm learning from my mistakes and that I'm actively trying to do better because at the end of the day, I think if you have a space online, how small or large that may be, you need to be prepared for the fact that what you are sharing is being seen. Um, it's not just for you, even if you put it out for you. Um, so you just need to be a little bit more uh, accountable and responsible to the fact that what you are sharing and what you are saying is being heard by people um, everywhere and anywhere in the world. And it's important to put some stock in that and be responsible with the way that you share your information. Um, there are a lot of people out there who are not doing that to share the anecdotal experiences just for the hell of it because it's their space to do so. But um, I'm always thinking about what I'm sharing and whether what I'm sharing is actually going to benefit people who are following me. So I'm always being a little bit cautious about that. But I, I, I do think that 
my space online and the, the capacity I have to be real on social media is just based on, on me and the values that I hold dear to me as a person. So, um, I think it's just, it's, it's just that. Yeah, no, for sure. And that shows a lot of growth and character and, and introspection. And I think if we're not learning and we're not changing our opinions, not all of them, but over time, then we're not learning and we're not growing because I know that there's things that I looked at one year ago and I've tweaked it and I've changed it and I've improved it and I've been wrong about it. And I think it's something as a, as a coach or someone who is trying to provide quality information should always have that, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself as Ali G would say, but being able to look back and go, okay, you know what, maybe I wasn't quite right about that. Or maybe that's something that I need to self-correct, but things are always evolving and we're always learning and we should be always pushing ourselves to do so. And I appreciate you sharing and being open and, and being honest about that. And again, it should be for you initially in terms of the personal journey and then that authentic wanting to share and wanting to pay it forward or give back, if you like, is something that, you know, comes with, with time and, and a true love for what you actually do, which I think is really critical. Another key point I wanted to talk about, or I guess it's a bit of a, it's an elephant in the room for a lot of people is performance enhancing drugs versus, you know, being a natural athlete. And I'd like to get your opinion. I know that as we talked about off screen, you get accusations. It's usually a compliment as a natural athlete when you get to a certain point. Um, how has that made you feel? How have you managed that? Is it something that you've thought about? Do you get other questions from other females as well about whether they should use it, etc.? What have some of those conversations and thought processes looked like? And you, could you speak to that a little bit, please? It is definitely a compliment at times being told that you have a physique that can, you know, rival someone who is on PEDs. Um, but also at some other times it detracts from the work that I've put in myself. I have nothing against anyone who chooses to use PEDs whatsoever. I think they are a tool in a, in a toolbox um, that definitely comes in handy, especially in the competitive space. And that is a space where I think that performance enhancing drugs are very relevant and are very valid, especially if you're in the bodybuilding world and you're wanting to step on stage on the Olympia stage, you most likely will not get there without performance enhancing drugs. And that's fine. Um, I personally don't see a future where I will be taking PEDs. I am not so competitive that I want to put myself at any sort in any sort of health risk. To be frank, I don't know that much about the, the biological side of PEDs. I have a lot of friends that take them and they've taught me some things about how it works, how it influences your, your, your body and the internal side. But thankfully, I suppose I haven't had that many women ask me, if they should take drugs and when they have done my answer usually is uh as straightforward as no especially if they're new um when you see younger women who haven't you know engaged in training for very long think that they need to hop on steroids to uh, make the gains that they want to achieve i just reinforce the fact that if you can be consistent if you can be consistent follow a structured training program eat sufficient protein take advantage of your genetics you won't know what your genetics uh, can reap until you actually put in the work. Uh, if you can do all those things, focus on recovering, get good sleep, you will stimulate the growth hormone needed to actually make the results you want to achieve. You do not necessarily need steroids as someone who's coming straight into training. Uh, 
as, as you might think. And of course, social media puts it out there that, you know, I have to look like, I have to look like X person. I have to follow the protocols of this person. And in reality, you don't, um, everything is very person dependent and specific to you. Uh, I would definitely advocate for more people steering away from performance enhancing drugs, especially from the get go. If that is something that they want to pursue later on and they've really thought about it, they've thought about all the potential health ramifications that could come of it, then that's perfectly fine. But for me, I know that morally, um, it's not something that I can align myself with. Preach it. No, I appreciate it. It's, um, something that again it is a shame it's a tool as you rightly said in the toolbox and something again i'm not very well versed in i understand some of the basics of it but i think too many people especially i think uh, for men as well uh, just sort of want to get on it willy-nilly without understanding all of the pros all of the cons but also something that i talk about with my coaches a lot who have some of the best physiques in Australia, probably in the world and coach some of the most talented people and achieve results without using any of that is that I think most people would be quite surprised at what they can achieve without that. And they would be quite happy. But again, it's sort of putting the cart before the horse where it's like, well, before you delve into something which is a little bit more advanced, perhaps get everything you can from what's around you look near before you look far make the most of that and see how far you can actually go and then because those protocols will still apply you will still have to be very disciplined your training's got to be on point your nutrition's got to be on point if not even better if you decide to do something like that before you commit to it because once you do to a degree there's no going back in in retrospect that you can cause damage especially if you know you don't know what you're doing or you, you haven't got the dosages right or or the grade of um drugs which you're using etc so yeah it's a very interesting topic but i thought i'd ask that question just as uh, someone who is new as a female to the industry and again someone who's got a physique which yes in my opinion could definitely rival um people who have used uh, enhancements as well but again a testament to consistency you mentioned genetics i think that's worth just making a note yes i think some people are high responders i think yourself probably one of those people but I just want to make it clear that don't use that as an excuse. There's a lot of people out there who will, you know, and there might be some young ladies listening now, men, whoever you are, who go, oh, you know, it's, it's genetic. It's like, well, look, you can't control that. So don't focus on it. Focus your energy on where you can control and by actually focusing on those metrics, being consistent and again, doing things even better and improving them over time. You might be pleasantly surprised at what you can actually achieve through those mediums. Something I want to ask now is sort of foresight into the future um, in terms of where do you see yourself going? What would you like to do? Where is this passion leading you from a competitive space? What goals do you have? I imagine like we talked about off camera before we started, you have endeavors to compete. Also where you want to take your physique, what you would like to do in the business or professional realm. Is this something that you want to become? You want to be a coach? What sort of women or people do you want to coach? And I guess, where are you heading? What's next for, for Corinne? Uh, next year, I would really, really love to give competing another crack since I didn't actually get the opportunity to do so this year. So it would be a dream to step on the WFF stage next year um, and show everyone what I can do because I have a lot of faith 
in what I can achieve and what I can put forward. And I'm really proud of the physique that I've created thus far. So I'm only more excited to see what I can do next. Of course, everyone wants to place. If you're in a competitive space, you've, you want to do as well as you can. But of course, the idea is not necessarily to win. It's, it's, a, it's a dream. It's in there. But, you know, just doing myself proud is, is something that I'm happy to sit with. Um, in the business space, I am finishing my cert three and four as we speak. Obviously there's been a few delays because of COVID. Thank you very much for that coronavirus. Um, but hopefully by next year I will be coaching. I have my, my business name all set. I have my tagline all set. I have graphics in the process. So hopefully by next year I will be doing some in-person training, some online coaching alongside of going back to university, completely unrelated, but I'm very excited uh, to continue to invest more time in the health and fitness space and hopefully add more transparency and add more authenticity to a, an industry that can at times be a little bit murky. And we definitely need more people like that for sure. And I'm very confident you'll do well in all of those endeavors. And before we perhaps look at where people can find or where they will find you in the not so near future or perhaps near future because time moves fast and we're almost there we're almost there but we won't rush it 2020 it's been a character building year for all of us but as always and you've been very generous with your time and i appreciate that i want to go through some rapid fire questions a little bit more fun sort of a bit more okay. human i think you'll like these <laughs> then we'll get on to that that final question which i ask all my guests so the first one is uh if you could and this and just the first thing that comes to mind because this can okay. be a long long question but if you could go back to the start of your training career to two and a half years ago and you just had just one minute and you could say hey current this is me from the future this is some information what would you say to yourself what would be the heads up Oh, good form matters and stop deadlifting poorly. Uh, <laughs> if I could go back to the very beginning, I would definitely just reinforce to myself that I need to practice my form more than I thought I needed to at the start. If I did so, then I probably wouldn't have had as many niggles from the get-go that have persisted through my two years. So good form, it matters. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, if I had a dollar for every time I say that, I'm like skill, 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 form over everything when it comes to lifting weights. That's for sure. And a food related question. It'd be rude not to ask this because of your passion of for food. If you had one last meal and you had to choose and it can be and I'll give you a little bit more flexibility, an entree, a main, a dessert, even a drink. What would it be? What's what's the what's the go to? Oh, okay. Entree. I'm probably just going to say something really simple and be like buttered toast. I love toast. I just, I love toast so much. It's ridiculous. I, I genuinely have toast with every meal at dinner time. Um, my main would probably be uh, beef ravioli with some um, a, a beef sauce on top, preferably my nonna's homemade sauce. That would, that would be good. Um, and for dessert, I'll say, mm, chocolate brownies. I love a good brownie. It's soft on the inside, a little bit crispy on the outside with some vanilla ice cream on the side. Good to go. Nice. That sounds like gains <laughs> to me. Simple pleasure. <laughs> you really, you really do love toast, don't you? That's, I love uh, toast. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it must be the texture, the taste, everything. It's a great way to get in the carbs though. It's a great yes, way. Yes, it is. Very carbs. easy way. Uh, I just on a side note, uh, used to back in the day when I played football, soccer, uh, 
for, for those people <laughs> in this part of the world. Um, <laughs> me and my friend, I remember before a, a match game, we would literally have, so when we go away and play these tournaments, we'd have a whole loaf and we had this like really terrible two piece toaster We'd only do two mm. pieces at a time. Cause you're in these like little motels, you know, we weren't quite uh, playing for Man United. So anyway, and I remember we'd be playing like FIFA while putting the toast in. And every time they'd come out, we'd have like a different topping. And he was like, what do you want? It was like jam, Marmite. And we'd literally just get through like a whole loaf plus. of bread. <laughs> because Obviously we would just be like running, running it off and we were just carb loading. And it was just great. Cause it was like these little intervals of like toast and FIFA and different toppings. So yeah, a, a little toast story there for you. Uh, my final rapid fire question, which is one that I ask all of them and uh, everyone, and it's really fun. It's something I'm passionate about. It's probably why I ask, uh, because I think for me, one of my taglines is, you know, helping everyday superheroes realize their true potential. So if you could have a superpower, what would it be yeah. and why? Oh, gosh. I don't want to be generic and say, oh, actually, I've got one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I always what remember came this. in like a bang. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember when it comes to being a university student, I'm, I love education, I love studying, but something that I always think would be the most incredible asset to me at university would be to have the capacity to just get a USB and inject all the information I need into my brain and be able to draw from that as I wanted, because of course the brain doesn't work like that. So if we could have like a USB port in our head to, to insert information at our will, that would be fabulous. Well, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Elon Musk, but, uh, <laughs> there's Let's a contact him and figure out what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And it might be coming. So that is a phenomenal one. I love it. Cause it's different. Like you said, it's original and, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's going to be a thing. But yeah, that'd be wonderful. I like the Matrix. Like, I'm in a helicopter. Give me the download to fly a helicopter. Bang. I can... <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. That big brain's got to be, be used for, for something, right? Uh, also, do you have a white tiger on your bed? I do. That is yeah, true. Not, I'm, and for people listening, tiger. not a real one. You know. Uh, not a real one. Like, what? <laughs> it's <laughs> a builder bear that I got when I was 16 from a girlfriend of mine, and I've kept it ever since. Now, the reason why is because I don't know if people can see, but. Oh, you do too. <laughs> got the, got the lion, got that, of mm -hmm. course, got that gifted. It's always there. It's the little <laughs> things, little things. Didn't ask the animal question, but I sort of saw it out of the corner of my eye. I'm, anything like cat related, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to with, with the fearless stuff. But for my final question, the one that I ask all my guests is, could you identify a fear that you've had that maybe you still have? what it is, how you've overcome it, if you have, or if you're still working on it and what you've learned or are learning from it. Oh gosh, that's a very heavy, heavy question, isn't it, Alex? It is after the light question. You see what I mean? I soften people up and then bang, I'm straight back in with the people like, whoa, wow, where did that one come from? Jab, 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 follow through. <laughs> Does it have to be health and fitness related? No, it can be okay. whatever it means to you. It doesn't have to be big or grandiose. It could be something small. It might be the fear of spiders, public speaking, um, just something that resonates with you and perhaps has some sort of nostalgic value that you feel um, is, is comfortable sharing because fear is the, you know, the reason that stops us from doing anything. And I do believe that everything we desire is on the opposite side of fear. That's very true. Um, I'm going to go add in a whim and share something that I am still dealing with. 
and something that is quite a vulnerable topic for me, but I always feel that there is value in sharing vulnerability. Um, I have a long-standing fear of abandonment, which stems back to my best friend who unfortunately took his own life when he was 15. Um, and it's something that has been ever present in my life ever since. It's something that has made relationships quite struggling and has been quite problematic. I'm always afraid that, you know, people that I love are going to disappear somehow or leave. Um, but one thing I am really proud of is that it hasn't stopped me from loving and engaging and receiving love. I'm very, very grateful for my partner who we've been together for over a year now and uh, he is the most understanding and compassionate and caring person and it constantly reinforces to me as this is something that I'm continually working through that just because I have experienced some trauma in my past life in my previous years doesn't mean that trauma is going to consistently reappear in the future so that is something that I'm trying to reinforce to myself and you know work through that for sure and it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with but they are unable to voice it or they feel uncomfortable which is understandable about it so I appreciate you sharing and, and being open about that and I think it's always a, a beautiful way to end a conversation and one that's been very refreshing I think you know to speak to someone again who's you know keeping it real as I always say and, and keeping it raw and speaking the truth and is very aligned in what they do and my hope is that the people who are listening can take some value from it and they can also relate and apply something positive to improve their own lives whether that is health related or whether it's even physical or mental because again it's holistic and and that mental health that you just talked about there is is very critical and uh, as I've often said, and it's not my own quote, but you know, we're often all battling uh, something internally that no one knows anything about. Yeah. So it's important to have these frameworks and these safe spaces where we can talk to people and like you've got your partner in your life and those relationships that can sort of uphold and help diminish those fears and help us overcome um, those adversities to, to live a better life. And I think that is the human condition. Now, where can people find you uh, who would like to listen to more uh, about what you've got to say? And also perhaps when it's all up and running, which is very exciting, your coaching services, where are the best places to do that? The easiest place would probably just be on Instagram where you can search me at Corinne Wooden. Very simple. Or you could probably find me as the fairy quad mother. That is also something I go by at the moment. <laughs> Yes, and, and quite an appropriate tagline indeed. Thank you. And as always, I um, will put that link, those links, in the description below. Corinne, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for keeping it real and keep doing it. Great job. I think it's thank very you. refreshing uh, to always have someone who is perhaps not too far in the field and is still sort of in that journey of those early stages who's evolving well. So, no, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Alex. I really appreciate you having me on. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for keeping us company this morning. Or perhaps we've kept you company in your car, on your ride to work, perhaps you're studying, perhaps you're out for a walk, whatever you're doing. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took some value. And I've got to say, as always, if you've not already and you like this podcast, share it around with somebody. It helps the channel grow, helps us spread this good information. 
leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you're on YouTube, make sure you like and give us a comment. If you've got something positive to say, you want to hear something or you've got a question for me or Corinne and obviously subscribe for weekly videos. And of course, until next time, stay fearless. Thank <laughs> you.